So that was fun. All right, turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Matthew 26. That's the only place I'm going to ask you to hold your place. And uh, everything else we will be looking at together. But uh, I want to read you a passage before we get started. Because today we're starting a series on biblical stewardship. And I I want to introduce this series, this short series, uh, with a verse out of the book of Acts. Don't turn there, but look on the screen. Acts 13, verse number 38, all right? I want you to see something that that, that was said that just gives me an incredible hope and and an an awesome inspiration about living the Christian life and being bondage-free. It says here, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers. So let's think about Paul saying this to us, to you and me. Let it be known, brothers... That though this man, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Now, just for a moment, I want you to think about that verse. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Because of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of sins. Amen. And we can be free from the bondage of sin, from the yoke of sin. Thank God for that. Because oftentimes, this is, well, it is, no question about it. From the very beginning, the most exciting thing about forgiveness of sins is the fact that we are going to spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven. So through this man, through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. But look at the next verse. And by him, Jesus, everyone who believes. So after you receive forgiveness of your sins, after you're saved, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Scripture teaches us that through Jesus Christ, everyone who believes is free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Christ is in the process of setting his children free. It's the process of sanctification. It's not just, I'm, die, I, I, I'm, I'm going to heaven when I die. It is, I am being set free right now from the bondage of sin that often enslaves me. Jesus didn't rise from the dead for your justification only. Sometimes I think that's where we stop. And all we ever thank God for is, I'm thank God for the day I got saved. That was just the beginning, church. Jesus rose to set us free from specific things that enslave us. Scholars tell us that the top three things that enslave us are money, sex, and power. We're going to talk about money today. And that's why it's so exciting to me right now as we begin this series that in conjunction with this series, we are starting Financial Peace University, which is all about setting people free from financial bondage. I believe that God wants that for all of us. And not just those of us who have experienced some debt in our lives and are trying to get through that, but, but there are others who could experience victory through this exciting group that is starting on Wednesday night here in a couple of weeks. And, and, and honestly, I'm praying that God will connect that class, that wonderful program to this message and to our hearts as we consider what God is going to do in the next few weeks in our church. I want to begin this message by saying this, that everything I have belongs to God. Everything that I have belongs to God. My family, every decision, my money, all of it. Sometimes I feel as if we, we, we have 
been deceived to think that, yeah, yeah, I know. I know what belongs to God, preacher. I did it. I gave the one-tenth that belongs to God. You missed it. It all belongs to God. He asks you to give one-tenth back, but he owns it all. Every decision you make, he owns it. Every child you've been given, your family is a gift from God. It's not yours, it's God's. This is very important for us to understand because to build a strong foundation for biblical stewardship, we must understand that it all belongs to him. And so let's talk specifically about money this morning, God's money. That's a scary statement, isn't it? God's money because it's all God's. It's God's money. And so here are three foundational statements. The first one is simple. It's this. Money is a test. Money is a test. Everything you have is something God has given you as a test of where your loyalty is. Where your heart is. Everything you have. It's a test of your loyalty. You know, it's amazing how Scripture oftentimes repeats itself, and it repeats itself for emphasis. You know, when you say something more than once, it's for emphasis. You want to make sure that your children get it. You want to make sure your husband, wives, get it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And just in case you didn't hear it, he said it in Luke chapter 12 and verse 34, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Everything you have is something God has given you as a test of where your loyalty is. And money should not be your greatest treasure. It's true. And to help us understand this, we're going to look at a couple of examples in Scripture. What we're going to do this morning is go to the tomb, go to the cross, and go to the life of Christ and surround ourselves with a few verses towards the end of the book of Matthew, look at two different Bible characters and how every decision they made affected their view of money. So first of all, let's look at Judas. Judas. Everything that was happening in Judas's life in Scripture flowed from how he viewed money, everything. In fact, if you do a study of Judas yourself, you'll find that it was always connected to money. Every verse in the Bible about Judas had something to do with money. This, this gentleman had serious financial problems. He was in bondage to money. Matthew 26 will be on the screen, or rather, excuse me, will be in front of you on, in your notes. This is the only passage I wanted you to see as we introduce Judas to you this morning. Look at Matthew 26, beginning in verse number 14. And here it says, then one of the twelve, so what does that make him? We know right there he was a what? Disciple. Very good. He was a disciple. He was one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot. One of the interesting things you'll notice about the disciples, the twelve, when they are given to us several times in a list or when they're mentioned in Scripture, oftentimes there is a relational connection to that name. For instance, Peter is most of the time referred to as the brother of Andrew. James and John are often referred to, if not every time, as the sons of Zebedee. So you see this in Scripture. Judas Iscariot, which betrayed Christ. You see it over and over again. The relational connection that is associated with Judas is betrayal. 
It says here, he was one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot. He went unto the chief priest. He says to them, here's what Judas said. What will ye give me if I deliver Jesus to you? How much money? What's in it for me? What's the bottom dollar? How much can I get to betray Jesus? How twisted is that? How twisted? And from that time, from that time, well, first of all, he coveted with them for 30 pieces of silver. So there's the money. You see the money? It's always money with Judas. It's always money. It's always connected to money. Every time, his attitude is always connected to his view of money. So they, they, they coveted to give him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, from that time, right there, he sought opportunity to betray Christ. From that moment on. So let's talk for a minute about betrayal. Nothing is more perverse than betrayal. Nothing. Nothing. You can go through a bad season in a relationship. I've been through some bad seasons in relationships with my wife. We've had moments where we've disagreed and even had an argument that we had to take care of. We've had moments where we've had some... Tension in our relationships. I've had tension in relationships with maybe a, a church member, and they've had tension with me, but we've worked through it. I mean, you can just about work through anything, anything in a relationship. But betrayal is never justified. To say to someone, here's my definition of betrayal I used to wish you good, but now I wish you evil. I used to love you, but now I hate you. I used to care for you, but now I could care less about you. This, my friend, is betrayal. It is the most perverse thing there is. It's never justified. And Judas is going to betray Jesus with a kiss. Come here, Caroline, for a second. Let me, let me, let me just tell you. I love my wife, and I'm going to give her a kiss. Come here, honey. Oh, yeah. She doesn't want to give me a kiss right now. Now, don't worry. Here we go. That's to be continued, by the way. And um, <laughs> you can be seated. Now, there's a lot of people in this building. I, I would give Joe a kiss. I would give Zoe a kiss. I mean, honestly, I've got some people I love very much, and a kiss is one of the greatest ways to dis. Describe your love, and it's an intimate form of communication with someone. It's a, it's a tremendous thing. It's a gift from God. It's a wonderful thing, a kiss. Judas would betray Jesus with a kiss. Mm. How twisted is that? Now, where do finances come into this? Where does money come into this story? Well, according to John chapter 13 and verse 29 on the screen, we're going to see something about Judas. Judas was in charge of the operating budget of this group called the disciples, the twelve and Jesus. For some of them thought because Judas had the bag. That's what Judas held. He always held the bag. He always held the money. He was in charge of the money. And you can read the rest of the verse. And oftentimes Judas would be the one that would go and take care of things that had to be bought and had to be purchased. Judas had the bag. He was in charge of the finances. And I want you to look on the screen as I read for you John chapter 12, verses 3 through 6. 
Here is a story of Judas's view of money. It's a famous story. It talks about Mary who had this ointment. Remember, she had this perfume, Mary, precious, precious story here. She takes this ointment of spikenard, very costly, very expensive, lots of money. This was a very costly item that belonged to who? Mary. It was hers. It was hers. It was as if you would bring something here to church and give it to God. It was very expensive. It's a big check. It's a lot of money. It's a sacrificial offering. It's something that you want to give to God that God gave to you and it's yours and or it's God's, but he's given it to you and you want to give it back to him. That's what we're looking at here. Mary takes something very costly, lots of money, and she anoints the feet of Jesus and she wipes his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then says one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. He couldn't get away from that. And he won't get away from it. It's always Judas which betrayed him. Here was his reaction. Are you ready? Here was his, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? He throws a fit. He's all upset. He wants to get in her business. Stupid. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. That's a lot of money. That's cost. What is she thinking? You know, when people are upset about money, one preacher told me just before you answer any questions, ask him a question. Do you tithe? People that throw fits and care about everything and want to get upset and get all, you know, riled up usually don't give any. This, he said, you want to know his motive? Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Interesting. This is Judas in bondage to money. Uh, one of the passages, Matthew 27, just again to lay a little stronger case for this. Matthew 27, beginning in verse number 3 on the screen, it says... Then Judas, which had betrayed him again, couldn't get away from it. When he saw that he was condemned, now Judas has betrayed Christ with a kiss. He sees that this has brought condemnation to himself. And so all of a sudden, the Bible says here, he changes his mind. He wished he would have never done it. He wished he wouldn't have made this deal. He repents himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He tries to give it back. They don't want it back. He says, I've sinned. I've betrayed innocent blood. I should have never made this deal. And they said, what is that to us? See that to it. Get out of my face. Get out of here, man. It's too late. And he casts down the pieces of silver in the temple. He throws them on the ground. And he hangs himself. All in favor of Judas has money problems. (laughs) He viewed money the wrong way. He viewed it horizontally. He viewed it laying treasures on earth. What's in it for me? He viewed it horizontally as something to use to advantage himself. And when he didn't get what he wanted out of it, he despised what he had to have. Isn't that true? Notice in your notes here how many people have spent their lives acquiring things that they came to despise when they realized what they lost to get what they had to have. I'm there sometimes. You ever there? 
You ever despise what you have when you realize what you lost to get it? A lot of financial decisions are made like that. And that's why we're here this morning to talk about money being a test and to discuss some ways that you and I can can get the victory. It's not that we're any better. We don't stand in some lofty place above Judas. We stand today as well condemned by our sin, by our mistakes, by our misjudgments, by the times we've not given and done what we should have done with our finances. And so here we are. What do we do about it? We don't hang ourselves, right? Let's, Let's go to Scripture. Let's find out what why is money a test? Well, let's get personal for just a minute. If, if you were to take your wallet, man, it would be probably in your back pocket, ladies, in your purse. If you were to take your wallet, hold it close just for a moment because that's pretty much what our, one of the closest things we hold to our hearts is our money. I want you to take a personal test here. Money is a test of your work ethic. Your work ethic. And it starts there, doesn't it? If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. I find there's a lot of young people that struggle with work ethic. I find, too, there's a lot of people just in general. But, but, but I see a, a generation of young people that just don't know how to work, pay bills. And we see it in our college sometimes. Work ethic. How hard do you work? Money is a test of that. Secondly, money is a test of self-control. Now, I say that to say this, you may work hard, and that's a wonderful thing, and you may earn money. But I want you to know that until you learn, until I learn how to control my money, how to get in control, and, and, and to be in control of the money that God's given me, you'll never live in victory financially until you spend less than you make. So money is a test of our self-control. Number three, money is a test of your integrity. So now it gets stronger. This is a test we're taking. Money is a test. Integrity meaning this. How did you get what you have? The integrity of your income. That's why gambling is wrong. And I won't go into it. The gambling, especially at a large scale. It's very addictive. It's it's why there's a lot of things about acquiring money that are shady. You've got to be careful. The integrity of how we earn it. Number four, money is a test of your love for people. How much of what you have is blessing other people? Are you even in a position to bless other people? Because money is a test of that. Our love for people. I'm thinking about some of our dear uh, missionaries out of our church that, that we have the opportunity to give to on a weekly basis. And what a joy it is to give. In fact, you know, it's exciting because for the very first time in 25 years, praise God, I'm preaching a message on stewardship and finances, which, by the way, if you look over the history of 25 years, I've done this just a handful of times. I've, I've not done this subject justice, so I'm making up for lost time. But what's exciting is, is that right now it's fun to be able to preach this, and I have more liberty because our church has done so much better for the past three months. It's been amazing. And so it's refreshing because I don't feel like I'm digging out of a hole as much as I am saying we're getting there. Let's add to that. Let's learn more. Let's get excited about what God has done and what he's doing. We're off to a great start if you looked at the bulletin. Our mission's offering, little down, but everything else way up. Praise God. And our missionaries need help. And there are some things that I know that are going on right now that I'll be talking to our church about in the next month. One, I know else it happens to be with 
his precious wife in the service today. And there's some changes going on in their ministry that will still, they'll still be heavily involved and, and be missionaries and be involved in mission work, but some changes. There's some changes potentially coming in Champa's situation soon. Many of you have been praying for Champa. He's so far been denied his visa to stay in Singapore. And Satan is attacking their family. So there's some things that our church family may have to step up and be there for him if he has to leave Singapore. So get ready. Money's a test of our love for people. It'll be, it'll, be, it'll be a good thing if we can help them in the next stage of their ministry. Money is a test of your love for God. You see, money is not really good or bad. You know, some folks say, well, money is the root of all evil, and so we start thinking money's bad, you know, and then or, or, or money's good. Money solves everything. If I just had more money, money is neither good or bad. It's neutral. It's what you do with it. Money is a test. Number two, money is a testimony. Now, I want to look at another man in Scripture. This is not a man that is well-known in Scripture. Joseph is his name. And we're not talking about the well-known Joseph in the Old Testament, the famous Joseph that not one negative thing was said about in Scripture. Nor are we talking about the Joseph of the earthly father of Jesus, Joseph and Mary. We're talking about Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, loaded A dude that had a lot of money. I want to read you a little bit about this guy in Matthew 27, verse 57. It says that when even was come, here we are, Jesus Christ had already been crucified. And it was time for him to be removed from the cross. He had been killed. And evening comes, and there comes a rich man of Arimathea. His name? Joseph who also himself was Jesus' disciple. Now, upon studying Joseph, there's a whole other layer of his life and his uh, resume that he possibly would have been a secret disciple, one that was not well-known, one that served God but did it without a whole lot of uh, sacrifice at some point in his life. But this is a testimony of what God had done in his life as he goes to Pilate and begs the body of Jesus Give me his body. I want his body. Would you give it to me? And Pilate agrees. No doubt. He just wanted peace. So he commands the body to be delivered. And Joseph takes the body, wraps it in clean linen cloth, and lays it in his own new tomb. Wow. That's big time. That's a valuable possession. I mean, here is a tomb, a new tomb, a tomb that had been hewn out of rock, Tombs were basically back then rooms that were hewn, if you will, H-E-W-N meaning carved out of rock. And he gives Jesus his tomb. An act of humility, a testimony of generosity, would you not, use, would, would not you agree with me? What an amazing testimony of a wealthy man giving something that was very important and expensive to him for Jesus. Money is a testimony. And I'm convinced that what God is doing in our church right now is setting us up as a congregation to be a testimony. But bondage will keep you from having a testimony. And so therefore, we have been given this opportunity. We've had it before, years ago, Financial Peace University. Why is this so important? Is it just some small group? Is it just some deal where we're getting to... No, no, this is life-changing. 
This is something that could change the direction of your family, of my family, of your finances, of my finances, of, of, of a young person's life who, who is not in debt and they're very young in their finances, like my son who recently, at age 23, purchased a brand new house and, and for, mo- for the most part is debt-free other than that and has done a good job with his finances, but yet still even someone like that can learn about how he can handle his money and save his money to a degree that maybe he wouldn't learn any other way. This is an amazing program that started in the living room with a handful of people and a little presentation, and now it's spread to over one and a half million people around the world. God has gifted this program, this scriptural, biblical program, to set people free. And I'm convinced that what God is doing in our church could be greatly connected to the testimony of being free from the bondage of money. John and Bridget Clowers took this class when Gospelite had it the last time. And they experienced that freedom. And they were on the Dave Ramsey show. And so I want to show you a video. One more advertisement of this program. I want you to see a minute and a half video of Dave Ramsey just giving you a little taste of what it's like to be in this class and to learn from him and what God's given him. And then also I want you to hear John and Bridget's testimony of what God did for them. Live on radio with Dave Ramsey. So listen. Financial Peace University began about 20 years ago. And now today we've had over one and a half million families go through this course. This is the place where we start happening to our money, where we start aiming our dollars at our goals. you got to make your money behave. You work too hard to get to the end of your life and be broke. There's a massive group of people out there trying to sell you stuff. They want to interrupt your plans. Don't cash out your 401k. I know your 401k looks like a 201k. Remain calm. The only people that get hurt on a roller coaster are those that jump off. God's all in this thing. He's all about fixing you. He's all about fixing me. There's a redemption story built into this whole thing. And every time I give, every time I understand I'm not an owner, I move along that spectrum from selfish to selfless. Now, this is a boot camp. I'm your coach. I've had some good coaches, and they lit me up a time or two, but it caused me to go places I couldn't go otherwise. You change your life when you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, or you say, I've had it. This is how you get out of debt. you got to run for your life. you got to run, 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 run. you got to bust it. you got to go like your life depends on it. What would happen to the kingdom of God if the people of God were out of debt? How much of this world could we as believers change? Thanks for joining us, America. Bridget and John are with us in the lobby of Financial Peace Plaza. Hey, guys, what's up? Woohoo! <laughs> We're debt free. Awesome! And how yeah. much have you two paid off? 97,500, a little more, a little less, but in that range. Wow, excellent. Make uh, And how long did this take? 18 months. Wow, making what kind of money? Well, according to our tax returns, probably between 80 to 100 during the time. Excellent, excellent. Good job. Where are you guys from? Hot Springs, Arkansas. Fun, fun. So you came here as a, as a debt-free scream, uh, I don't know, a trip, a journey? Yes, and it's also our birthday. Yesterday was my husband's and tomorrow's mine. So oh, kind well, of... happy birthday. Thanks. Very fun, very fun. Thank so you. what made you guys decide to get out of debt 18 months ago? 
Well, um, uh, our church offered Financial Peace University, and uh, for a few months, we, or the first couple of times it was on, or it was going to our church, uh, I thought, well, that doesn't really apply to us. We have a small business, you know, our income's varying, and then after we got in a boatload of debt, I said, I've had enough, and so I started the class and got my husband on the same page with me, and then we said, we're getting out of debt, and that's what did it. So just not our personal, but also our business, completely debt-free. So what was the most of the 97000 Uh The most of it was a, a loan that a family member had made uh, to help start a previous business that didn't work out. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So. That had to feel really good to get that paid back. You bet. You bet, for sure. Makes Thanksgiving dinner taste differently. Yes, yes. Excellent. Excellent. Well, how does it feel to not have any payments, no burden hanging around your neck? Oh, it's awesome. I mean, it's just it's just a great feeling know that everything's just completely paid off and everything that we make now can just save towards, you know, things that really will make a difference. Good. What was the hardest part for you guys? Well, I'm going to let my husband answer that one because he had a prepared answer for that. Okay. Hold on. All right. Hey, hey John, congratulations. Hey, man. Way to go. So what was the hardest part? I think the hardest thing was probably getting me to the financial peace class. And then once I got there, heard you speak, you know, it just kind of clicked after that. And we knew what was right. So how did she get you there? I uh, just kept asking and kept asking. And finally, I gave in just to kind of get her off my back. And uh, So you and went you went to the class rolling your eyes. Yeah, I just kind of didn't think I needed this, I guess, as a man. But then when I kind of heard you and you kind of ripped my face off and stuff like that, <laughs> I was like... This is what I need. I need the coach, you know, get me through this. So. But we really appreciate it. Yeah, I kind of have that coach rip your face yeah. off yeah, personality like thing going. Yeah, that's. But I got to tell you, dude. I, I was telling somebody the other day. We were talking about Financial Peace University and how the church interacts with it, or how the the, the marketplace. You know, when we teach it in corporate world, it's called financial wellness, and it's a, you know it's a little different thing. But still, you know, I would be that guy if it was me. You yeah. know, I, I would be going, I'm not going to that. Right. You know, and, and then you get in there, though, and you start to go, the stuff start. you start starts ringing between your ears, and you're going, this this, this crap will work. Yeah. This will it's work. actually simple stuff, too. It's not that hard and difficult. It's actually real simple and biblical and just makes sense. Very cool. Cool. Well, congratulations, you guys, and happy birthday to both of you again. Yeah, thank you. All right, count it down. Let's hear a All great right, debt-free scream. $97,000 made are paid off in 18 months, making eighty dollars to $100,000 a year. Count it down. All right, three, two, one. We're debt-free! Yeah! All right. Congratulations, Bridget and John, and thank you for hosting the class, the preview class on the 18th. It's going to be amazing. And they have experienced that freedom. And I want to tell you something. I'm not ashamed to stand here and tell you that I am emphasizing this. I went to the elders. I said, guys, I want your thoughts, your approval, your insight. And each one of them said, Eric, you know, you, 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 this is okay. This is a good thing. Emphasizing this. Scripture, listen, if you study Scripture for yourself, you'll find out there is so much about money that we hardly talk about it in the church. And what happens is our people continue to live in debt. To car payments, to credit card payments, we, we, we just ignore it, we, we don't address it, and yet we have a book with the answers and a man who's developed a class that can help us get a plan to get out of debt, and what an opportunity we have. And you know, what's amazing is, I have spent my life preaching on the subject of money in one area, 
and I apologize. One area only. And this is the problem with most of us preachers. Our only sermon on money is giving. What a shame. I apologize. He's always preaching on giving. And here we are another day. And I don't always preach on giving. And nobody can say that about me. But I guarantee you when I did preach on money, it was about giving. And that's a shame because Scripture has so much more about money than just giving it. There's stuff in here about saving it. Stuff here and about spending it. Stuff here and about earning it. It's stewardship. It's huge. It's massive. It's phenomenal. It's life-changing. And finally, here is a church saying after 25 years, man, we're doing so much better. Man, God's people have woke up and started to give and our giving is increasing and things begin to improve. And God gives us an opportunity now on an upward swing to jump on board to a program that could potentially revolutionize our church family. What would it be like if every member of our church were out of debt? I guarantee you we could, we could make an impact on this world and this community. So it's a thoughts. And I'm going to be taking that class on Wednesday night as well. And I'm excited about it. Money is a test. Money is a testimony. Money is a tool. And I'll finish. Money is a tool. What kind of tool is it? Well, money is a tool in this respect. Again, we said it. We'll say it again in closing here. It is what you do with it. It's a tool. God gives you money as a tool to do something with. And what are you doing with it? Well, there's a word in Scripture that best describes money. It's a beautiful word. It's not money. Money's kind of an ugly word. Money is a word that people are afraid of. Money is a word that kind of rubs people wrong or rubs people right. Money is not the best word for money. The best word for money is stewardship. That's God's word. That's the biblical word. 1 Corinthians 4.2 puts it like this. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. That word faithful is, a, is an important word. Because you see, God gives us as stewards life. And he says, what are you going to do with the life I've given you? I've given you, Eric, 51 years. I want you to be a good steward of your life. I've given you five children. Steward them well, Eric. They're mine. They belong to me. I've given you a lovely wife. Steward her. Take care of her because I died for her and lo- love her like I love the church. And steward it well, Eric. I've given you some money, Eric. What are you going to do with it? Steward it, Eric. Steward it well. Steward. Be faithful. Be loyal. Because I'm the owner of it all, Eric. I own it all. You own nothing. I own everything. Yes, sir, God, you're right. So therefore, here is my definition of stewardship for the next few weeks. A steward owns nothing. God is the owner. And what he gives to us, your house, your car, your finances, your job, your family, you steward over. It's all been given to us. And we will give an answer for it. That is my definition stewardship it's a tool what will we do i'm so grateful for the examples that god's given me in my life you know and and the the people that god's given me i I, unfortunately when it comes to the family and marriage rather you know I, i wasn't i didn't have that example in my home my mom and dad were divorced when i was very young i didn't have the privilege of growing up in a home where mom and dad loved each other and so I didn't get my example from that. But I do thank the Lord that my dad did teach me how to work. He taught me a work ethic. And I remember working for him when I was 10 years old in an old furniture warehouse that he worked in. And I would 
I, would, I was on a forklift when I was like 11 or 12 years of age. And then I came to Hot Springs and got saved and worked for a grocery store, Sanders Grocery on Park Avenue. Some of you old timers remember Sanders. I was the guy that loaded up the groceries and walked them out and was real nice to the old people because they give big tips. I learned that. I've never worked for minimum wage. I refuse to. There's too, much, too many ways to make extra money if you work hard. Then I remember washing cars. A lot of you that are old-timers remember, if you've been here a long time, I've washed your car in my parking lot or your parking lot. I had a home car washing service. And I take my little 1978 Ford Fiesta to your house with a hose and a bucket and some water and a sponge, and I'd wash cars. I remember getting a job at Sears and Roebuck and working all my way through college and into my married years. I mean, hard work is important. But there were some things I didn't learn. There are some areas of, of finances I didn't learn, and I've been blessed by people in this church that have helped me and guided me, and now elders that are helping, and, and now Financial Peace University. I'm simply saying this. I think all of us here today could use some help. I don't think there's anybody here today that would, could just wipe their hands clean and say, I don't need any instruction in this area. I'm asking God, in whatever area of your finances you need him to come and instruct and convict and help and clean that God would do it in the next few weeks that God would help this series of messages revolutionize our budget our finances personally as a church I'm praying for God to change our view of money I'm asking God to give us Joseph's and not Judas's will a man rob God yet you've robbed me God says I want to be a Joseph. I want to be generous. I want to be somebody who can put myself in a position to be more generous and more humble in what God's given me. So these are some thoughts. And I'm speaking today to a church that's been hitting a home run for about three months. I mean, all of us have. It's been amazing what God has done, how he's turned around things. But this is a subject in Scripture that I think is very, very important. And so I'm challenging every one of you in this invitation time to pray about that class. It's a preview class. It's on a Wednesday night. John and Bridget will just basically present the opening presentation, and then you'll decide if you want to take it or not. Some of you would have to leave your Wednesday small group. I'm going to be leaving my Bible study for this. Some of my guys might come with me. I don't know. Those that stay will have a Bible study for you on Wednesday nights, but I'll be, I'll be with, with Bridget and John. I can't wait. I believe there's some young people that I think Mo's going to have to figure out what he wants to do. It's on Wednesday night. He might want to consider some of the young people that would want to at least watch the video or show it in here. Who knows? We'll figure it out. But I I believe this is a great opportunity, and I just felt like it it deserved more time in promoting it, Bridget, than just an announcement. I think it's that life-changing. Now, in addition to that, maybe you're here today and you say, well, there's no way I can go to that class, preacher, so what do I do? Well, that's okay. What is God telling you? What is God talking to you about this morning how is he convicting you what is the holy spirit saying to you this morning about these thoughts these scriptures let the holy spirit do it man listen i close my bible every sunday after 30 35 minutes and it's over i mean i I, I, the small groups take it from there and i'm just asking god every week lord give me in this window of time the exact message the scriptures exactly what you want our church to have that we might grow and become more like your son Jesus
you're here today and you've never been saved, 